Take your Bibles and let's go to the book of Hebrews. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible there in the pew in front of you. Feel free to grab one of those because it will help you follow along in the Scriptures. And so just uh, grab one of those out. Uh, if it has a bunch of songs, it's the other book. Okay? And uh, make your way to Hebrews in the New Testament. And I know I keep saying this every week, but man, I just don't want to stop this study. Maybe the Lord doesn't. That's the most important thing. Uh, there's some good stuff here. And I'm going to try to finish today. No promises. I was actually looking at the calendar. It actually works better if we finish next week. <laughs> That's not my schedule as he is. So let's see how far we get today. And we'll leave it there because I found that is always the best way to leave it in his hands. So we are looking at this week uh, the end of Hebrews. We've been here for a couple of years and uh, if you've missed one, go back, check it out on the archives, the podcast. Um, but that song we just sang, that's Hebrews, man. That summed it up. It's because the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's because of that that we can enter into His presence. And what a wonderful song to, to sing uh, this morning as we look at the closing section of this letter. Last week, you remember, in the section of Scripture we were in, the emphasis, again, on practical living of Christianity. And it was the topic of submitting to the under-shepherd, obeying your leaders. And, and we talked about uh, the differing roles within the church, uh, specifically in, in the leadership role of pastor, elder, bishop, these are interchangeable terms, but they describe the same office. So as you're reading Scripture and you see one of those terms, bishop, pastor, elder, know that they're identifying and, and recognizing that uh, called uh, position that God has set up within His church. But make no mistake, Jesus is the head of the church. He is the great shepherd. And so today we're going to take a look at the great shepherd. Follow along, if you would, in our reading this morning in Hebrews 13. And we begin our reading in verse 20. Now, may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do His will, working in you what is well-pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And I appeal to you, brethren, bear with the word of exhortation. For I have written to you in few words, Know that our brother Timothy has been set free, with whom I shall see you if he comes shortly. Greet all those who rule over you and all the saints. Those from Italy greet you. Grace be with you all. Amen. Father, I pray this morning that you will take your word as you have promised and that it would not return void. Lord, you know the heart condition, the soil of every heart here today, those listening via online or watching 
Uh, Lord, I pray that you meet them where they are, that this word would, would find fertile soil, that it would grab hold and, and, and begin to grow. And Lord, that you would just have your will and way here in our midst today and that Jesus Christ would be lifted high. He'd be made much of. Lord, thank you for the precious privilege to share your word. May I do so in your power, in your strength, for your name's sake. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. Brief summary. If we were looking at the outline of this book, and this is compliments of Bible History Online, this sums up where we've been. This is a good surmise of the whole book of Hebrews. You remember we started out, Christ is greater than the prophets and angels, chapters 1 and 2. We also saw that Christ is greater than Moses and Joshua, chapters 3 and 4. We also saw that, that Christ is greater than the Arian priesthood and chapters 5 through 8. We also saw Christ's new covenant greater than the old covenant, chapters 8 through 10. And in the closing section where we've been, we find that faith in Christ is greater than the law. Again, by way of brief summary, the main theme of this book of Hebrews can be found in the opening verses of the book. Jesus Christ is clearly greater than anything the Old Covenant had produced. You know the audience he's been writing to? They were wanting to hold on to the Old Testament the, and the temple practices and Judaism. And that's the predominant audience this letter went to. So again, know the context of the letter you're reading in Scripture. Who was that original audience? And in this case, it was predominantly Judaizers. And, then, and so there were those who had come out because they had received the gospel of Jesus Christ and they recognized that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And so they were beginning to follow. But again, many sat on the fence. Do I, do I go with my friends and family over here back into what I know, the tradition and the religion that I'm used to, where I'm comfortable? Or, or do I leave it behind and follow after Jesus? And that's who the recipients of this letter were. But Christ has been on display in this letter. Clearly He is greater than anything found in the Old Testament. Jesus is the great high priest. He's the eternal mediator between God and man who never stops mediating. He's the perfect fulfillment of all the prophecies and types and shadows pointing to the Hebrew Messiah within the Old Covenant. And again, if you go back and read through this book, it leaps off the page. This is the argument. This is the persuasive uh, plea that the writer is saying to these people. Guys, listen. Don't go after the shadows. Go to the one, the substance that the shadows point to. Jesus Christ. And that's been the plea. The book of Hebrews unveils Christ as the one who's greater than each of the types and shadows that were pointing to Him in the Old Covenant. Moses was the great lawgiver, but Christ was the perfect fulfillment of the law. 
The high priest in the Old Testament offered sacrifices each year. Jesus, the eternal high priest, offered Himself once for all. And you remember how we spent many sections describing how those priests, every year, conscience reminded them they had to come and offer sacrifice for the previous year, for the preceding year, for the next, for, for the, to cover their sin. But they had to yearly do it because the Messiah had not yet come. And Jesus came once for all, a space and time to settle it. It's done. It's finished. The promises contained in the Old Covenant were for a season. But the New Testament is built on better promises that are forever written on men's hearts. That's what this book has been about. That's the plea and cry of this letter. Not only to the original recipients, but to the recipients today. For anyone who would read this, and you may not be a Judaizer, but maybe there's tradition of religion that's so much easier to hold on to. Maybe you've grown up in church all your life. And so you're like them in that type that you've, you, you know the things. You know the truth here, but you've never allowed it to truly transform you here. That's the plea. Many won't hear it because they're so steeped in doing that they choose to work for their salvation, never earning it. Then there are those who, who teeter because I've been in this place all my life and if, if, if I surrender my life now, what will people think? And, 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 what will, and, and so there's the cares of the world that tend to choke out the gospel because of the fear of man instead of the fear of God. And that's descriptive of those Hebrews people who said they sat in the midst of the congregation. They tasted the glory of God. And you remember when we were in that chapter and we talked about have you ever tasted some food and but you didn't eat it? Just because you're in the midst of believers, yeah, you'll get overflow of the goodness of God. You will taste the goodness of God. It may be a part of your religious practice, but there's never been a heart surrender or a commitment to Jesus Christ. This letter's for you. The plea to not neglect so great a salvation. Don't be like those people of the Old Testament who got to the promised land and then shrunk back because of the fear of man. Maybe that's you. And so the plea to you today is surrender your life to Jesus Christ. He is the only means by which we can be saved and forgiven. And so, or perhaps you're one of those faithful followers. Your encouragement is found in Hebrews 11, the great hall of faith. And how they didn't receive the promise of the Messiah in their day. They didn't see Him come on the scene in their day. But they were willing to believe those promises and follow by faith because the just live by faith. Trusting what God had said in His Word. And so they were willing to surrender their lives to the point of persecution, to the point of death for the gospel. 
And believer, that's you and me today. We await, we await the, the, the great glorious return of Jesus Christ. We, we await the second coming. And yet we may not see it happen in our day. But we live by faith. Believing the promises that God has given to all of us who are believers. And so we persevere. We withstand the, the troubles and the persecution and, and we move forward because of the great hope that's within us. That's the outline of Hebrews. That is the book of Hebrews. That's the Hebrews recap, if you will. But let me give it to you in three verses. We're going to recap Hebrews. Oh, my soul! Why didn't you just do that two years ago, Pastor? We'd have been done already. I know how you think. All right. But let's just look at this. And the great thing about this, this is God's Word. Notice, if you would, Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. This is, this is it in a nutshell. This is the recap. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. Simply put, hey, in the old days, he spoke by prophets. That's the Zach translation. You like that, Zach? That's a good translation. Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Simply put, Jesus is greater. Jesus is enough. It's finished, guys. Salvation is not about you and I doing. Salvation is about it is done. That's why he sat down. The work was over. Jesus Christ fulfilled everything from, from the fall of man to the point in which he came and died upon that cross, was buried, and three days later rose victorious. He fulfilled that. He fulfilled the law. It's finished. The wages of sin is death. And if we got what we deserve, we deserve death. But the gift, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Jesus proved He was a fulfillment. And the Hebrew writer has made, as far as I'm concerned, the most solid argument summing up the Old Testament than any other writer in all of the New Testament. That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Him. Jesus is greater Jesus is enough. The second portion of Scripture in our study that we found as we've gone through this over the past two years is found in Hebrews 8, 6. It says, But now hath He obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also He is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. Simply put, the new covenant which is offered in Jesus Christ's blood, is far greater than the Old Covenant. Aren't you glad? I mean, we talked about this last week. You know, I joked about, I'm so thankful we're under the New Covenant because I can eat bacon. I mean, you know. <laughs> but, but in all truth, guys, Jesus said this in the upper room. The Lord's Supper, remember as He 
Uh, and we'll be talking about this. New members in our class next week will be discussing ordinances and, one, and the two ordinances that we follow that Scripture teaches. Uh, one is the Lord's Supper and the other is baptism. And in the Lord's Supper, he is showing that in, in, in representation that the cup he is about to bear, the blood that's going to be shed is like the wine. Or grape juice, as we like to call it, because we're Baptists. Anyway. And so, he offered his blood. His, his body, as he broke the bread, he said, this bread is in representation of my body, which is broken for you. And as we know, Christ laid down his life for his sheep. He laid down his life for us. The new covenant, guys, is so much greater than the old because it's finished. It's paid in full. We don't do. It's done. Hebrews 11, 1 through 3, concludes the surmise, if you will. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Simply put, faith and endurance, perseverance of the saints. Believer, that's our instruction. If anything we've learned in this last section of the book of Hebrews is that as believers, even though we haven't yet arrived, even though we are not yet in the presence of God, we walk by faith. And if anything, that great hall of faith chapter should encourage us is that we are to persevere to the end. Keep on keeping on for Jesus. And so this, I believe, is sort of a recap of what we've been studying over the past couple of years. And I wanted us to kind of come into focus on that as we take in today's passage. So here's our outline today. Two point. The work of the eternal found in verses 20 and 21. And then we're going to look at the way of the enduring, verses 22 through 25. So if you're taking notes... Uh, that's our outline for today as we hopefully conclude uh, with this. So let's take a look first at the work of the eternal. The work of the eternal. Uh, we see, again, this is uh, summed up here. You, you notice, that, look, look how this passage starts. Let me, let me just kind of requote this. Look, look at where it begins here in 20. Because again, he's been talking about all this practical application as believers now that we've learned all these things. And so this is how you ought to live as a Christian. He kind of goes through some, some practical things. And then he gets to verse 20 and says, Now, and this is his closing. So this is sort of the final exhortation, the farewell, if you will. Now, may the God of peace... Now, I had to stop right there when I was studying. And I think we need to stop right here for a second. May the God of peace. Whew. Think about the implication of that statement. 
Guys, we were God's enemy. The Bible says when we were born in this world, we were born depraved, we were born spiritually dead, and unless the Spirit of God quickens and makes us alive, we, we are God's enemy. Now, we don't like to think of it that way, but this is just God's language to us. That's what makes His love so amazing. How many of you really love your enemies? Though Jesus taught us to do that, did He not? And I can't even begin to get into the heart and, and understanding of that depth of agape apart from Christ. You can't. But with Christ, I am able. That's why you hear testimonies of those who, who, who are done wrong, who've had violent crimes committed against their families, and yet they still stand ready to forgive, and they give God the glory in able, being able to do that. What makes that even possible? It's because we serve a God of peace. Because I recognize, Jeremy Varner recognizes the sins that I have been forgiven. And it's, it's unimaginable that, that, that God would, number one, just forgive me. That in and of itself was a struggle for me early on in my relationship with Him because of the sins of my past. But then to, to draw me into ministry? A wicked man like this? God, you, do, do you remember who I used to be? Do you remember what I used to do? I'm the chief of sinners, to quote Paul. But he's a God of peace. And I was reminded often of the words to Peter in and, and reference to food. Don't, don't call something unclean that I've made clean. And I was, in essence, in those statements denying God's sufficiency. And I learned real quick that, you know what? Forgive me, God. Your grace is sufficient. It is sufficient to transform and change a sinner such as I and, and, and to use a guy like this. He's a God of peace, desiring that we no longer be His enemy. That's why He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to seek and to save that which was lost. And we were all lost because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So he's a God of peace. Now, this is the definition of this word here. The Greek word here in the text is the word arana. Arana. And, and, and here's some definitions for this word. It's a state of national tranquility. Peace. A state of national tranquility. Exemption from the rage and havoc of war. It's peace between individuals. It's harmony. It's concord. In reference to the Messiah's peace, it's the way that leads to peace. The way that leads to salvation. Of Christianity, it's the tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ. And so fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot of whatsoever sort that is. <laughs> Let me sum that up, Christian. My wife and I do a lot of couples counseling. I do a lot of individual counseling. And it's amazing. And some of you are testimony to this. I mean, you could stand today and actually give testimony of, of this. Where 
God has used those moments because what I find a lot, what I find a lot of in, 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 in a lot of Christians' lives, the basic Christian life, is they, they either don't have their salvation. Okay, that's usually, there's, again, if you don't, a blind man can't see, so he's got to see before he'll know, right, in that. So, so we always start with the salvation, you know, trying to get a feel for, is this person truly saved? Do they understand the gospel? And if not, then we've got to administer the gospel because apart from that, nothing we offer them is really going to bring a cure. It's just going to be a salve on the, and band-aid when they need surgery. But I find that most Christians, basic Christians who are saved on their way to heaven, struggle with assurance. They're not certain of their salvation. And this is why church discipleship is so important because when you begin to dive in and really understand who the God of peace is, when you dive into the Word of God and you really begin to soak it in and understand His promises, when you understand His character, there is a great tranquility of the soul. There's a great contentment that, 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 that brings you the peace that passes all understanding. Because it's not about what you've done or what you can do, it is about who He is and what He's done for you and what He offers you. And that's on Him. That's not on me and you. That's peace. And so we can, we can rest, spiritually speaking. That doesn't mean... And by the way, did you hear the rest of that definition? And so fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot of whatsoever sort that is. In other words, I don't fear the wrath of God upon me anymore because Jesus took the wrath upon Him. He took it upon Himself. That, that wrath that, that rightly, justly, because God is just, to be poured out, Jesus absorbed that. But it also encourages me as a believer, as the Hebrews 11 chapter points out so greatly, that it's a God of peace because even in the midst of storms, my anchor is Him and He will calm the seas. And even if He doesn't, I know I'm secure. Regardless of what might come against us, there is peace in the God of peace. And so maybe you're here today and you're struggling with something. Maybe it's a lack of assurance of your salvation. Get it settled. God makes you a promise. If you come to Him, He will in no way cast you out. He's not willing that any should perish, but all would come to repentance. So maybe it's a simple step in your life to turn to Him. And say, Lord, I need this assurance. Give me peace that passes all understanding. And put feet to those prayer and begin to know Him. Begin to... Explore who He is and, 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 and allow the calamity of the world to sort of just take second seat and draw near to your Heavenly Father. He promises He will draw near to you. So, we see this God of peace here in verse 20. We continue reading. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead... The work of the eternal. This is the God who brought our Lord Jesus from the dead. What other gods done that? 
There is no other God because there is no other God. But you know, as I was thinking on this passage, I thought, okay, this is a good, you know, providential rabbit trail kind of moment here. So you know me, I can't, I'm going to take that bait and go with it. But I asked the question, who raised Jesus from the dead? Now, for my apologetics folks out here, this is a great opportunity. We could spend a lot more time here. Come check out the apologetics conference. But... Let's explore this, because this is going to strengthen your faith the next time somebody shows up at your house and goes, have you received our Awake magazine? Or somebody's out in the front yard popping willies, you know, on their bicycles with their little white shirts and black ties. That's Patricia's favorite. Good to see you, Kathy. Welcome home. And so... Next time the doorbell rings and it's, you know, one of those isms trying to explain to you that Jesus is not God and you're trying to give a defense for the Trinity because we're triune, though you'll never find the word Trinity in Scripture. Don't be deceived, Christian. The subject is clear in the Word of God. God is triune. Who raised Jesus from the dead? Well, let's take a look. The Father. The Father. God the Father had a part in Jesus' resurrection, right? Well, I just said the God who brought Him up from the dead. Would you know there's some other passages of the Scripture? Here we see God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. Romans 6, 4. Acts 2, 32. Don't take my word for it. You know, guys, don't ever take what the preacher says to be true. You verify it. Trust but verify. And I'm going to give you the Word of God. So here's what the Word of God says. Um, Therefore... We were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. We find in Scripture, and I'm only giving you two, and there are more, but I'm just going to give you two for time's sake. And then Acts 2.32, this Jesus, God has raised up, of which we were all witnesses. Guys, God the Father has a part in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So then we find also the Son has part in His own resurrection. The Scriptures teach us that Jesus raised Himself. So, here's, don't take take it out out of the mouth of Christ. He said, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. Jesus said this. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I've received from my Father. So not only do we find in Scripture that the Father has part in resurrection, we see Christ says, I lay it down, I take it up. Again, just one Scripture reference. There are others. But we also find in Scripture the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is said to have had a part in the resurrection of Christ. And so... We see this, that the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, believer who lives inside of you is a born-again believer, who have you been sealed with until the day of promise, until the day Christ appears and bam, we're with Him? Holy Spirit. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life 
to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who lives in you. Romans 8, 11. Guys, that's good news. That's Jesus, the hope of glory within us, right? The Spirit of God who dwells in us. So we see these things. We see this in Scripture. So the next time you get that, you know, popping through the yard, here's a little something to think about, right? Well, the great shepherd of the sheep. We see this next in our text. And so let's take a look. You'll notice the text says, Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep. How? Through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Guys, you heard me talk last week of my responsibility as a shepherd, an under-shepherd, to shepherd the sheep as one who one day must give account. And that part of that responsibility uh, is beneficial for you to, to submit to that because it's to, do, to not do so, and it's not joyful for me and it's not profitable for you is what Scripture says. And anybody who's been a pastor long enough knows there are seasons where it's not joyful and it's not profitable. But recognizing that whoever your shepherd is, whoever your leadership is, that God has raised them and placed them there. And that in submission, we submit not to man, we submit to God. It's no different than in a home. I can assure you there are many times when we're having family discussion on where to go to eat, we all have a differing opinion. And sometimes daddy yields to mama, and sometimes mama yields to daddy, and even sometimes, and we, you know, I even hate to say this, sometimes we even yield to the kids and go to McDonald's. I know it shows we yield more often probably than we should. <laughs> but at the end of the day, there's also been moments where we haven't been in agreement and mama says, Dad, you make a decision. Now what's that telling you, gentlemen? She wants you to lead. And guess what, gentlemen? Just like I haven't been called to birth children, that's not my role, I have been called to spiritually lead my home and I have been called to lead, and especially in matters where there is differences. And I appreciate a wife who says those things. And I seek to love her as Christ loved the church. And that's why we go to Arby's sometimes. I'm just saying. It's a true story. But in the church body, it's not different. Yeah, there's differences sometimes. We understand that, guys. But one day, Pastor Jeremy won't be standing here. Somebody else will be. And for the sake of unity and for the sake of peace, let's just simply follow God's manual. Let's just simply do that. And, and, I, and I can assure you, it's profitable for you. It's a lot more joyful for, for this guy, whoever that is. And that's important because that's submission to God and His plan. So, the great shepherd of the sheep. We're all submitted 
to the great shepherd of the sheep. He ultimately is the one who watches for our soul. It's His Word that instructs us, that guides us. And when we are in obedience and separated unto Him and living a life set apart for Him, it is for His glory and it's for our good. So you see the same principle that's just been explained in Hebrews with the under-shepherd that's illustrated in the home, that's illustrated in every semblance of order. We see it within the Godhead. We also see it within the body of Christ. The great shepherd. He's the head of this body. And we should desire to know His way. Because in the end, that's for His glory and our good. His joy, our profit. So... It's through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Now think about this. The Hebrew writer puts this here because again, what has he been talking about all through Hebrews? The old covenant, new covenant. He's doing this comparison. Old covenant, new covenant. Jesus is greater. Right? So the old covenant has been fulfilled. Jesus, because of His blood, because He's the great high priest, because He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, through His shed blood, it is an everlasting covenant. You cannot lose your salvation. God has you secure in His hand, believer, and nothing, that means Greek translation, Nothing can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. And so, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Ephesians 2.13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Go back and read that chapter on the temple and all the different artifacts within the temple and what they were symbolically pointing to Jesus. And then you think about who Jesus is and that He is now in the heavenly tabernacle, if you would. He is there as our great high priest. And remember all this language that the writer's been using. And it's because of His blood, just like, remember, the, the, great high, the, the high priest would once a year go in, sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. Remember, he'd have to wear the little bells around his apron and not you pull him out because he's dead. He didn't hear the bells ringing. I mean, you know, Jesus says, look, no, he, the writer's telling us He's gone once and for all. It's done. It's finished. And because of His blood, that covenant is sealed forever. The old covenant was temporal. The new covenant in Christ's blood is eternal. It is everlasting. This is the work of the eternal. So, we also see that this is able to make you complete in every good work to do His will. Isn't that good to know? Not only does He provide the means for you to be saved, He also provides the means by which to live. That's amazing grace. And so we see this here in the text. This word here is katarathaso. Did I get that about right? There is a strong emphasis on that last part. It's katarathah. 
I heard it. I heard it. I'm telling you. I listened to the Hebrew guy pronounce it. And I know I butchered it. But you know what this kataratzo represents? That sounded more Japanese, didn't it, that time? <laughs> ah, thank you. Anyway, sorry. We'll just do it good old Eastern North Carolina style. That's kataratzo. But it means to make repair or to equip, to complete or prepare. That's a good word. To make complete, to repair. I don't know about you, I needed some repairing. I don't know about you, but I need to be complete. And we are complete in Christ. Philippians 1.6 says, being confident. Remember that language in Hebrews 12 about being confident? Being confident of this very thing, that He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Guys, that's a great promise. I'm under construction. But you know what? My builder's going to complete the job. He's not done with me yet. He's not done with you yet. And it's contingent upon Him, His work. It's His work. It's at work within me. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are His workmanship. Church, we are His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God saved us to walk and live out our faith. And we should be bringing forth that evidence as followers of Christ. You know what? When I saw this passage of Scripture, I'm reminded of this truth. It's God that works in. It's you that works out. Right? Some of, some of us work out a little more than others. <laughs> Just say, anyway, I, I know I need it. Okay. And probably in many ways, right? But spiritually speaking, it's God who works in. His promises. Look at the Scripture. Philippians 2.12 Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's not saying work for your salvation. The salvation that you have been given, that God worked in through Christ Jesus, now that you're saved, now that you're a born-again believer, recognizing, for by grace have you been saved through faith, not a works, it's a gift of God, so you can't brag about it. But since it's His grace and it's His gift that's been invested in you, you're sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, now work it out. Live it out. Hide it under a bushel? No! I'm going to let it shine. Right? Holly liked that one. Thank you, Miss Holly, for that smile. <laughs> Excellent song. Absolutely. Maybe we should sing it here. <laughs> Be ready. I might call you up in a second. <laughs> Guys, this is important. God works in us. And we, He wants to partner. He wants us to be His hands. He wants us to be His feet. The work of the eternal. Working in you to what is well-pleasing in His sight. Through Jesus Christ. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen? To Him be glory. What has Hebrews been about so far? 
To God be the glory. Jesus is greater. Jesus is enough. I don't know what you come here today struggling with. I don't know where your burdens or your battles are. I know what mine are. Can I encourage you? Look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He has the peace because He's the God of peace. And if you're willing to come to Him, He won't turn you away. In fact, His desire is that you would, even this day, if you do not know Him, today is the appointed day of your salvation. In the closing moments, I invite you to simply receive Jesus Christ by faith. Understand who He is. He's God incarnate. We all had a sin debt and we couldn't pay it. And God loved you and me enough to reach down from heaven to provide a way. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Come to Him today by faith. The Bible says to as many as receive Him, to them He gives the right to become the children of God. If you've never placed your faith and surrendered to Jesus Christ, today receive Him by faith. And He promises to make you a child of the King. He'll seal you with the promise of the Holy Spirit until the day He returns or until you go to see Him. And He'll give you the power to live a life separated unto Him. He'll work it in and give you the grace to work it out. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Lord, there's, there's a little more here to unpack, but I, I trust that this is a, a, a place to, to stop, to allow Your Holy Spirit uh, to search our hearts, to bring conviction where it's needed, to bring surrender where it's needed. And Lord, someone doesn't have to necessarily get out of their seat and walk forward to give their life to Christ. They can do that right where they are. And I pray that if there is anyone here, anyone listening, anyone watching that has never taken that moment and said, God, forgive me, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. Let them recognize that their good works won't save them. Going to church won't save them. But because of the precious blood of Jesus Christ... He has made a way, and He is that mediator, that great mediator between God and man. He is the bridge that we must cross. If there's someone here today, may they come to you in faith, take you at your word, receive your promise, and invite Christ to be their Lord and Savior. And Lord, as we've learned in Hebrews, may the praise of their lips say so. May their life bear fruit unto repentance. And may you receive the glory that you are due. In Jesus' name, amen.